KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, March 18th. How the pandemic has changed how we get around San Diego. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County is now in the state's red COVID-19 tier, which means restaurants, movie theaters, and other businesses have resumed indoor activities. Dining and movie theaters reopened on Wednesday at 25% capacity, gyms at 10%. While most San Diego County school districts are adopting a hybrid schedule with some remote learning combined with in-person, the Cajun Valley Union School District is doing it differently. It plans to return to a pre-pandemic schedule of full-time in-person school on April 12th. Students will return to campus five days a week from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. daily. Distance learning will also remain an option for some students. The car crash in downtown San Diego on Monday that killed three homeless people is prompting advocates to push the city to get people off the streets. They want San Diego to place more homeless people in hotel rooms during the COVID-19 pandemic. Lawyer and activist Genevieve Jones-Wright says FEMA has already offered to reimburse cities for 100% of those hotel costs. Mayor Gloria, be certain to procure additional hotel rooms and please, stop the criminalization of our unhoused and unsheltered community members. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. An enduring image from the early days of the pandemic were San Diego's open freeways and empty trolleys. Traffic and transit ridership are recovering, but it remains to be seen if it will ever get back to what it was before the pandemic. As part of our series Pandemic Life One Year On, KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen explains how COVID-19 has had a lasting impact on transportation. This is our living room slash dining room slash kitchen. Like millions of of Americans, Andrew Picard has been working from home for the past year. Most mornings I start my day uh, on the sofa with coffee, a blanket, and my cat, and watching the news. Picard works for the nonprofit San Diego Workforce Partnership. He misses seeing his colleagues in person, but likes the flexibility remote working offers. He saved a boatload on gas and car insurance, and he saved time. Pre-pandemic, his 10-mile commute would take up to an hour one way. Now? Uh, my, yeah, my commute is all of uh, 20 feet. It takes me, you know, two minutes to get from my bedroom to the living room or wherever where I'll be parked for the day. Even as more people get vaccinated and return to some version of their pre-pandemic work lives, Picard says his job will likely stay remote at least part of the week. People are really keen to have flexibility and 
I think what the pandemic has proven is in many industries, you can be as productive or more productive in a remote environment. It's a very different story for Roddy Jerome. Thank you. Thank you. Any problems, give me a call. I will. Bye-bye now. Jerome provides in-home support services for the elderly and disabled, work that can't be done remotely. His commute from work in Santee to back home in City Heights starts on a bike, followed by a trolley, then a bus. It takes an hour and a half or more each way. Jerome likes moving around. He doesn't want to work from home. He just wishes his commute were faster. A more direct service, a more direct way of getting here, you know, instead of having to transfer or, or to go from bus to trolley, you know, that would make it a lot easier. Because now I have more time to do other things, you know. The stark difference between Picard and Jerome's pandemic commutes represents a greater truth. The benefits of remote working have gone mostly to jobs that are higher paid and more likely to be held by white people. The jobs where remote working was never an option tend to pay lower wages and are more likely to be held by people of color. And that disparity made us actually think harder about social equity, social justice about getting rid of the sins of the past when it comes to transportation. Hassan Ikrata is the executive director of SANDAG, the county's transportation planning agency. The sins of the past, Ikrata says, include bulldozing communities of color to build freeways. SANDAG is currently updating its long-term transportation plan with a mandate to slash greenhouse gas emissions. Ikrata says the pandemic has made clear the new plan should put the needs of disadvantaged communities first. So what does that mean? It means that if you put a group project and one project is building an interchange for a freeway and the other one is building a bikeway, even so the, the interchange for the freeway might have the money and might seem logical, if the social index said you should do the bikeway, we'll do the bikeway. That's going to upset some people, but that is how you get rid of the sins of the past. But is Sandag accounting for the pandemic's potential to fundamentally change our daily commutes? Bus and trolley trips are down by about 60% since February 2020. And although traffic has ticked up a bit, rush hour still isn't what it used to be. Ikrata says it would be foolish to base a generation of transportation planning on a one-time event, no matter how dramatic it might be in the short term. The pandemic will be over. Therefore, it's short-sighted to say, scrap everything, let's start over again, because we don't know what the other side of the pandemic looks like, but we can anticipate that's going to be back to normal. Sandag predicts remote working will curb greenhouse gas emissions somewhat, just not enough given the scale of the climate crisis. When Roddy Jerome looks beyond the pandemic, he still sees better public transit as key to his livelihood and a healthier planet. If we're trying to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, you know, which is important to our climate action plan, um, you have to make it better. You know, um, you have to make people want to get out of their cars, you know, and if, and if they can't do that, it won't happen. And that reporting was from KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen. In addition to transportation, KPBS is also looking at how small businesses have fared as well. Today we speak with Tommy Walker, who talks about his wrenching decision to close the Paradise Hills coffee shop, Project Rio Collective. Project Rio Collective uh, started in 2017. The idea came up of creating a space that neighbors could get together and and hang out and um, and get to know each other. We we went into 2020 um, with you know the same goals. You know how can we do um, 
a better job as far as the community goes? What kind of opportunities can we take advantage of? Then, and then that's when, you know, the whole social distancing hit and with, with the unknown and, you know, everybody just, uh, just had to kind of take a step back and look at, you know, their, their inner circles and make decisions that was best for, for them and their families. So the, the, the team decided to, to close the doors of Project Real Collective um, around the end of March, uh, beginning of April. But that was a tough one. That was, that was really tough, you know, because we, we really tried different, you know, different ways. Like, how can we make this work? How can we make it happen? The neighborhood was definitely, um, I, don't, I don't want to use the term upset, but they, they definitely wanted to do whatever it took to keep the place open. My wife and I are, uh, you know, we've been entrepreneurs, so um, there is going to be um, another community coffee space that uh, in, in, the, in the Paradise Hills neighborhood. Uh, the new coffee shop is called The Mental Bar, and um, going through that process has is, is been quite the journey. You know, we're, we're in an underserved community, and it's not like the buildings in our community um, are are up to code and, and have all the upgrades that, you know, you see in other communities and other neighborhoods. So um, dealing with the financiers to you know, get the building up to code and um, to have a safe location that, that the community can really enjoy. It, living in a neighborhood, working in a neighborhood, and making it a, a neighborhood establishment um, and controlling the narrative of our neighborhood. You know, revitalization starts from within. Um, and if we can control the, the revitalization, or even not really control, but be a part of it, um, you know, from the, from the inside out, it's always a better move than watching somebody from the outside come in. That story was produced by KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser and video journalist Nick McVicker. Stay tuned for more on our series from business owners throughout this week. Coming up, local reaction to the Atlanta shootings and why Red Hill Bay at the Salton Sea hasn't been restored despite a project being arranged for it. We'll have those stories and more local news next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
The shooting that claimed the lives of eight people, including six Asian women in Atlanta, has ignited widespread concern over a surge in Asian American hate crimes. KPBS's Tanya Thorne has local reactions. Grief. Uh, we have much to grieve in terms of the rise in attacks against Asian Pacific Islander people. Um, but the killings yesterday just brought more overwhelming grief. Karine Makapugai is on the board of the San Diego Asian Pacific Islander Coalition. She says last night's shooting in Atlanta is the most severe painful example of incidents against the Asian community throughout the country. Unfortunately, racism against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders is not new. However, we are seeing a rise in it because of the rhetoric that, we're, that we have heard from decision makers and leaders um, calling it the Chinese flu and attributing blame to Asian communities. Makapugai says the Stop AAPI Hate Organization reported 42 incidents of racist attacks in San Diego County between March and December of last year. One attack happened in San Marcos against three women in the same family. And they were just taking a family stroll when people who were driving by actually stopped their car, got out of the car, started screaming at them, blaming them for coronavirus, blaming them for everything happening with the pandemic, and they even attempted to attack her 17-year-old daughter. Although the suspect in Atlanta claims the attack was not racially driven, Lauren Garces with the San Diego Asian Business Association says the damage to Asian businesses has been done. We have a lot of elders in our community who run these businesses, and a lot of the time, like, you know, we want to make sure that they feel safe in, in the businesses that they run, but also on a human level, like they they have to deal with all these headlines and seeing all this. It's, it's essentially trauma, you know, and, and how are they going to cope with that and how are they going to be safe um, feeling going or how are they going to feel going into their workplace? Garces says it's unfortunate that this incident is what's bringing the conversation of hate crimes against marginalized communities to the forefront. But she says she's also seen more people coming forward to denounce it and stand against all forms of hate. And that was KPBS's Tanya Thorne. Anyone who has experienced or witnessed an act of hate towards the Asian American and Pacific Islander communities is encouraged to report the incident on the Stop AAPI hate website. California lawmakers want to create a process to strip badges from police officers who abuse their authority. Democratic State Senator Stephen Bradford said California is one of only four states that does not currently have a way to decertify police. If last year's nationwide uh, summer protests and calls for police reform haven't shown us anything, it is that Californians want more than just superficial change. We don't want to just talk about it. We don't want to nibble around the edges. Bradford's bill would give the state commission that oversees police training the power to decertify officers who are found guilty of certain crimes or misconduct. The Gardena Democrats sponsored a similar measure last year that did not make it through the final days of the legislative session. 
Efforts to improve the environment around the Salton Sea were widely expected to begin at Red Hill Bay in 2015, but that groundbreaking project remains undone, and that's pulled air quality regulators into a fight with local officials at the Imperial Irrigation District. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has the story. The roughly 400 acres of Red Hill Bay on the eastern edge of the Salton Sea used to be underwater. A state-funded project would return water to the flat playa, trapping dangerous dust and providing habitat. It's all in a bid to protect air quality, but the lake bed remains bone dry. Five years later, after many of these red ribbon cuttings and, and unveilings had happened, uh, there's been little little action on the ground. Imperial Irrigation District Director J.B. Hamby says the two-year project never got finished and the dispute has landed in front of the Imperial County Air Pollution Control District. It's a pretty standard ticket that the Air Pollution Control District gives pretty often. Air quality regulator Katie Burnsworth says the exposed lake bed has been a source of particle pollution for years. Local clean air officials hope a citation will push the IID to finish the project. We've had to go this strong enforcement route because nothing's getting done at the Salton Sea. The region has well-documented issues with air quality and asthma. Imperial County fails to meet federal clean air standards for particulate pollution. When the wind kicks up, the dry lake bed becomes a man-made source of small particles known as PM10. The scariest thing about the playa is we really don't know what's in it. Everyone worries there's toxic industrial pollution that washed into the lake and mixed in with those sediments. The Imperial Irrigation District is responsible for the land because they own it. IID's J.B. Hamby says the hearing could have been avoided. We need to get together, get on the same page, and finish the project, not continue to fight about this. And so when the Air District inserted itself in and demanded to continue the hearing and take this adversarial rather than cooperative route, it was disappointed and it, it, it blew up all progress we were making. The IID worries about potential rich underground resources. Cal Energy has a contract to explore geothermal energy and mine lithium at Red Hill Bay. The district worries a restoration project would complicate access to the area. They're saying, oh, no, we don't want to do these projects now. Luis Olmedo is a community advocate who's fighting for clean air in the region. Now we want to see what kinds of industry we can bring into these exposed areas. Time's out. Time's up. There is no time for that. Olmedo says the federal government is ready to step in and take over the project, but they need some security about the land's future. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has the funding to finish the restoration project, but federal officials won't invest the cash until they can secure a long-term lease from the IID. They said, we'll, we'll fund this, you know, we'll pay for this, we'll maintain it, we'll do operation and maintenance into perpetuity. You know, they've said all the right things. Olmedo says for once, it is local officials, the Imperial Irrigation District, holding up progress on a Salton Sea project. He says the entire valley suffers as long as the lake bed is exposed to the strong desert winds. There's only time to mitigate that exposed area right now. And look, if they want to dry it up later and replace it with another best available control measure that a industry wants to bring in, that's fine. Do it then. The Imperial Irrigation District's J.B. Hamby says it's not that simple. There are complications with the lithium and the geothermal releases with mineral rights with Cal Energy. There's fish and wildlife with certain leases they have or don't have. 
the elevation of the Alamo and water quality and a whole host of other things. But air quality regulator Katie Burnsworth says if there isn't progress soon, there could be significant fines coming. And obviously this abatement order, it's used as a tool to keep everybody on task and in a timeline because what's missing at the Salton Sea is a referee and a timer. Fines could lead to litigation, and that could hold up the progress even longer. Burnsworth says regulators would rather see the kind of progress the state is making on a nearby 4,000-acre project that'll cover exposed lake bed on the southern edge of the Salton Sea. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.